Hello, Jeremy. Hey, Raph. Mic troubles today. You had mic troubles, yeah. yeah. I've got nose troubles. Suddenly I started sniffling. Oh, man, I, I came back from uh, the Netherlands and everyone had COVID. There was a carnival in the south, so a lot of friends went there. And then my family, everybody had the sniffles, which turned out to be COVID. I it did. I didn't get it, but everyone around me got it. But uh, They call it the sniffles variant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the official name now? Mm-hmm. The medical yeah. term? AKA the sniffles variant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The SSV, yeah. We've been off the air for a while. Lots happened. Um, yeah, a little bit of trouble in Eastern Europe. Just a, just a wee tad. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to think how my British... A little sniffles. So, uh, no, yeah, I'm I half mean, Ukrainian, it's, half it's, British, it's, so... It's basically... Um, I felt like there was this idea of crisis inflation where you just keep seeing crisis after crisis and you're not even sure if it's a crisis anymore. But then this came along and it's like, boom. And then, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just in time for... Well, apparently uh, you know, it was you negotiated know that, to, It was what I mean to is after like, the Olympics, right? They're like, can you wait till after the Olympics? That's the, cr- that's the eerie thing. They're like, well, first we had Trump, then we had COVID... Then we had the Olympics. Okay, what do we need now? Like, it, it feels eerie that it was time that... It's not eerie. It's calculated you know, for maximum impact. Um, but do, do you think Russia is just like, yeah, let, we, we need attention so we can't do it during COVID? No, like, there was a conversation with Xi Jinping, like, with oh, China about, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, can we, can we wait until after the Olympics? And they're like, all right, okay. You think so? Yeah. The, yeah, oh, it was like damn. documented or whatever. Really. Okay. <laughs> or I mean, it could be that that's not good intel. But um, anyway, the whole thing's really tragic and difficult to watch. And um, yeah, like I, I said on the, we had mic troubles, but I was, we did this previous intro. My grandparents and uh, fled the Ukraine under similar circumstances. My grand, my grandmother was pregnant with my mom as they were leaving. So, which is, you know, you're seeing all these like women and children and yeah, yeah like, it's exactly your so family much, like life is still happening and then what, suddenly what like, is boom. it with that part of the world that no matter what the regime is like for 300 years it's just always trouble it's uh, it's so tragic if you just want to live a regular life and, and uh, you just want to like your yeah, grandma but, said i hope you have a nice and long and boring life yeah that's right that was her favorite saying but yeah. i think um i mean i tr- i tried to figure it out i signed up for like a like a, a master's class on, like on Amazon, you can like subscribe to regular television channels on your your Prime thing, on your Fire TV. Yeah. But I, you can also subscribe to like one that's like Amazon University or something like <laughs> You can take like classes. And I took a class on Eastern Europe. I, I, History saying, class? I, yeah, I only, took, yeah. I, only, I only took two of the classes and I was like, I'm going to skip the rest of the semester. But like... I I didn't keep, keep watching, but, but it, yeah. no. But I was trying to understand, and and even in just the 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 class that I watched, <laughs> the the section I watched, and I I really probably should do more historic reading, but it's such it's been fought over, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years because it's like a gateway yeah uh, country. Also, it's extremely well. It, it's funny, fertile. like like you the way you you process it mentally. Like everyone realizes, like oh, there's a lot of trouble there. And then someone comes up, it's like, well, it's a gateway. And then mentally you're like, okay, action, reaction, causality. And then you put it away. Like, it's still incredibly awful, but you're like, well, the geopolitical territorial war, blah, 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 stream of energy, da, da, da. And you, you sort of give it a mental place by giving it a word, like gateway. Yeah. But yeah, that doesn't make it any less awful. So that, that's 
that's the crazy thing about um yeah there's no way to rationalize no, it really. maybe what i'm yeah. saying is that that's the weird thing about narrative i think like we're taught to always think in narratives and then you read the history books and then it all seems to be the same the same with when you say oh it's just business and like you fire people who have young children and mortgages and you're like nothing personal it's just business yeah. And so using these terms, all of a sudden, just you create the psychological distance behavior no, that I you would agree. never allow. And yeah, I mean, the narrative for me is like, as I was watching it, I just was imagining my grandparents in a similar oh, yeah. situation. And yeah. I, I found myself kind of overwhelmed with emotion, like yeah. I haven't in a long time. Um, and then talking to other friends who are either, you know, still have family there or, um, I, you know, either there's even like a refugee on my team. And it's just like, yeah, you know, talking to them about people just trying to get out, like desperately, you know, trying to figure, like there were huge lines even just to get out of the country. Even if you wanted to get out, you couldn't get out. Um, it's the largest refugee crisis since the Second World War um, in Europe. I mean, there, of course, we've had refugee crisis crises in other parts of the world. And that's like one thing that's important not to forget, like just because it's the Ukraine, it's not more important. It's well, like, you, you these have are a personal that. relationship. That but it's I a, personally do, yeah. It's, it's okay to feel something because you have a family history that, that's that's understandable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I, mean, I know what you mean, that the, in general, the West gives this more attention than other parts of the world, but it's also so close to home. So the people in uh, Finland are like, ooh, we share a big border with Russia. That's scary. Well, Finland's always had trouble with Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it, it's understandable that there are a lot of emotions. And yeah. Well, also growing up, it's really hard because um, my mother, my grandparents, like, and I, apologies to my our Russian listeners. Like, there, you know, in a in a home, sometimes you'll hear like there are good people and bad people, but like universally. <laughs> You know, it was always like, don't trust Russian people. Obviously, I've made Russian friends. I have lots of Russian friends. Yeah. I've commissioned Russian I've, artists. I've collaborated with I've, Russians. I've, I've made quite a few Russian friends through the years. And, and like, I've met a lot of them that moved to New York. A lot of them tend to move to New York. And I think they just have this general... They love their friends and their culture and their family. But then the, the leadership is so awful. And they all, they, they're like, it doesn't matter whether it's the czars or it's communism or it's this weird, weird guy now. It... it it's like it's all, it, my friend was saying. It's just the asshole of the world. So, uh, I don't. Mm. I don't mean the people, but it's just. It's very sad to me the idea that you take away any initiative from people, and and, and like, there's so many people who just want to do what they can to live their life. They're not asking for much. It's not like, you know what I mean. Just a normal, normal yeah. person is just like I just want to raise a family, eat, have a yard, and like uh, enjoy the weekend and. Is that too much to ask? Well, whenever I see this stuff and it's like, it's like NATO versus like, you know, the Warsaw Pact countries who are now going to join NATO and Russia's going to feel like it's losing power. I, it, it does, you do end up in this kind of end game where you're like, why don't we just all join one united Yeah, <laughs> I, I tend like, to think that bureaucracy at a large, when I see the, the US, how hard it is to change stuff when a country is mm -hmm. that big. And then I think of Norway, a country like that, where they can just make quick decisions because it's so small. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm not so sure. You know, management but, structures. But if there was like, you remember that Men in Black, uh, uh, like movie well, that's always in sci-fi. Yeah, like no, 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 Star but, Trek, the planet, uh, the Federation of Planets, that kind of thing. Yeah, but what I mean is like how they had that thing that would erase your memory. Like if we could erase all the memories. There's also a show on Apple TV about this right now. Like you could have you have your memory at work, and then oh yeah, at yeah. Home, you have it. it's yeah. called like um, Severance. Yeah, but like 
if we could just like remove all memory and start over, do you think we would I, do? I don't, we would I don't recreate think, the same problems. I, here's here's the thing that um, my deepest belief of of my purpose is is not to solve problems. Like I think I'm I'm an artist, and artists contribute something to the world. I think life would be very boring without music or art. Mm. But I think when you let's say you a great musician, let's say Jimi Hendrix, okay, an incredible musician. If you asked him from the beginning, like, hey, you need to solve these problems, you need to help at daycare and nursing and whatever, he was a cultural force and, and like changed the spirit of the times, but not by directly solving problems. Do you know what by I mean? Sh- by shredding a guitar. Yeah, but no, but <laughs> what, how do you think... That's uh, how. No, but yeah. how do you think that... Um, but that's, that's, the John Lennon, that's the John Lennon, you know, school of thought, too. No, is, no, no. Well, John Lennon actually... But I'm, I'm just saying there are highly creative people that will do their best creative work if they're not asked to solve problems. And I mm-hmm. think that's always weird when it's a situation of war and it's like, hey, can you write a song about the crisis in Ukraine? <clears throat> but, We're still waiting on that song. Are they, I'm yeah. surprised, actually, we don't have that. This is very, very much feels like we are the world moment. Uh, from the 1980s, you know, yeah, save the children. Yeah, I don't know, but like, what the reason I asked the question is because like history, I didn't think in my lifetime, no, this history would repeat itself. I know, I know, because I, I, I'd seen so many data points of like, oh, well, nobody's going to fight another country that you trade with and have so many business relationships with, and capitalism will is is not perfect, but it makes sure countries don't go to war with each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and also it like generationally, it feels like you remember how like the yuppies were the hippies, <laughs> you know, like yeah, 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 the people that were pro love. I, you know, I'm worried that even things could get even worse if like the millennials and Gen Z, who are all these like yeah <clears throat> socially progressive people, suddenly become yuppies. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I know that sounds horrible, but like there's more power, re- you know, that's about to well, be accumulated. I do. Uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. Y- y- the yuppies is is one side of the eighties, and the other side is disco and punk. And I I do think that was after, mm. after, the Vietnam War and protest music. And I've heard from from interviews with musicians, they were like everything was just so fucking serious, and we just we felt like there was no future, so we might as well have a party. Yeah. And I think a lot of good things came out of that sort of escapism. I I, I don't think the whole human experience is always. Um, Trying to solve problems. <clears throat> yeah, and certainly we're far beyond like the monocultural. Basically, um, like Putin should just go to the disco and get his energy out. <laughs> he does look like he came, he, like he probably would have been at a disco. Like, have you seen? You've seen like a video of him when he was younger too. He was a KGB agent actually, so there's like yeah. no con- no I'm, connection I'm, to the. Disco. I have to say, I'm I'm very uncomfortable talking about the news because I hardly watch the news and I mm. try to keep it out of my life. I thought you were going to say you were worried about getting assassinated, but I get it. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I, uh, I, I don't know. I've, I've seen, historically, I've seen artists who align themselves with ideology, and it never ages well. Like This it, one is an easy one, though. Like, I, it, it, it is, and it isn't. Like, it, what seemed easy, like Picasso and everyone of that generation was into communism, and then... It seemed cool at the time, but they didn't get the news of what was really going on. 
So they get the idealized version of what communism mm. was. And then later on, you're like, oh, yeah, there was basically a genocide bigger than World War II. And you aligned yourself with it. Yeah, art did align with politics in, in some problematic ways. Art, That's yeah, the, yeah. and so I don't know. I, I feel like if you want to watch the news, you watch the news. And there's experts there and there's reporters on the ground. And there's people who dedicate their whole life to bringing you the news. And like, mm -hmm. why should artists... I mean, I'm happy to help and to donate, but I'm just going to give strategic advice what the NATO should do. And, and Yeah, no, I can reflect, you know, having made work about the Iraq war early in my career and and about 9-11 and stuff, just FYI. I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with that work um, at this point because there are enough people that would see it that weren't alive at that time to understand what I was going through emotionally and contextually and what others were. And also my understanding of the issues changed, right? So I hear what you're saying. Like I'm I like I posted last weekend um you know something and it and it be like on social media about the the war and it came to my brother and sister's attention and they 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 sent me a text message saying they're like really uncomfortable which I was really angry at them about, first of all, like, because I was like, how dare you censor me? Well, like, this is like, core part of my identity, you, you know, you don't, don't invalidate, you know, this is equally all of our identity, right? Uh, in our family. And yet, at the same time, I was like, you know what, I was talking to another friend, and he's like, you know, I think it's better just to wait, like, um, in situations like this. But this, there's a kind of the silence is violence school of thought, too. Anyway, so it's okay to be confused, I guess. Uh, and I don't know if there's a right answer here, except that like there are people suffering and like standing up against suffering seems to be like something that never goes out of date. But anyway, that's just... Um, no, it, and, the, and then there's the feeling of futility where the, the Iraq war, I think I saw the Michael Moore documentary, one of them at the time, and it was the largest protest in human history in the US when the Iraq war happened. And so... So many people marched, and it didn't change anyone's mind. Marched in powers. Canada, too. Yeah, but no one in the powers that be were like, hey, look at all those people in the street. They're right. Let's not do it. That said, that in, in the Ukraine, marching did actually function to overthrow a puppet government. And mm. that's why you know they're in the position that they're in, is because yeah, yeah, yeah. they became too powerful in the eyes of the Russians. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's lots of occasions where it works, some where it doesn't. I think the, like... Everyone is just like, it's amazing how much of the world wants the same thing. Yeah. You know, and how often we forget that. And so, and so few people seem to control uh, what ends up happening. So I, you're right. I'm going to say something that is just bad timing, but it's something that's always the undercurrent current for me is that I like, like art should question something intellectually the same way humor does. So, the best example I can give is like my nephew started being able to, to talk and then we had a book and you would point at the, look, strawberry, and he would say strawberry. You point at the picture of the strawberry. Mm -hmm. So he was learning the right word with the right picture. And then at some point I pointed at the tomato and he said lemon and he started laughing. So he, he knew what the answer was and he twisted it. And so mm -hmm. that to me is the role of the artist. It's like everybody knows how you're supposed to do it and they flip it. Mm -hmm. And then the trouble for me, because when I speak on a podcast or speak in social media, I consider that part of it, everything. It, like Being asked to be very clear and say exactly 
what no, you mean. It, it's 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 important, but at the same time, it's intellectually uninteresting. So to say war is bad is just a very yeah. true statement that everybody knows, and maybe people need to be reminded. But at but the same is, time, you're yeah. like you build your whole life. You know, like the whole point of artists is, is to show the world differently. And then at a moment like this, where everything is crystal clear, what's my role? Like I, I think then it's best to be quiet because I'm, I'm not there for mm -hmm. the clear message saying like, hey guys, why can't we all just get yeah, along? Yeah. You're War not needed. It's yeah, the representation. And I, th I think enough. at that moment, like a columnist in the New York Times is much more important than my voice. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's yeah, but being vulnerable or not knowing is a, a way of expressing oneself as well. Um, so that's what we're doing on the podcast, ultimately. Yeah. And like I guess that, that, that I feel sort of comfortable on a podcast because I'm in dialogue with you and we can elaborate and we can uh, go up and down in, in our opinion and like yeah. meander. Yeah. But you know what's been interesting is like so many artists have been banned, like so Russian artists and athletes, right, are getting fired as a result, which I think is... Um, you mean it, uh, like Russian artists who live abroad? abroad. Yeah. yeah. And I did not expect that. It's almost like uh, McCarthyism to a certain extent, where it's like you, you associate with the Russians, then you're going to get fired. Like uh, that happened very quickly. And it's not, and now I think these people, they are viewed as supporters, but I don't know where that line is drawn or how it's drawn. Well, that's maybe what I'm saying the same with, with, with art, like aligning yourself with ideology. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, here's, here's the bit. I'm just. I'm thinking about it as I'm talking. But the thing is, if you align yourself with an ideology and the people in control of that ideology change, you're still aligned with it. So uh, let's say no, you, th no, yeah, you yeah. think Biden is good and you voted for Biden and you tell everybody, I love Biden. And all of a sudden he does something terrible and it's you've tied yourself to the, you know? Yeah, no, I was going to say, like, there's a segue here to a question. I don't know if it's appropriate or not, but like... We got a bunch of questions about... So the question is, how do you clean your MacBook? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, when you've got a virus, and <laughs> do you use Norton antivirus? Yeah. yeah. Um, I lost my seed phrase, which... <laughs> no, there was a question. I'm just trying to open it up here. Um, in regards to, like, workplace... Because I talk about management and workplace. Did we have a recording for that? Or was it just text? Sorry, I'm doing this on the fly with you. That was text, yeah. Dayjobinspiration.mp3. No, I no, no, that's an anonymous one, so don't say the name. And the other yeah. one is, is Rebecca Edwards, who also had a question about the workplace. So I think one said, how do, you, uh, how do you get inspired from your day job in your artistic practice? And the other one was, how do you deal with the politics at work? Yeah, okay. So the, I, t I think, though, let's, let's go in terms of this, like uh, what we were just talking about in regards to like, my, my artistic practice and like the workplace. So the assumption, like similar to what you're just describing is that art and capital don't mix well as subject, you know, kind of uh, friends or neighbors. Art and power. Yeah. Yeah. Because capitalism just bad inherently is like kind of the artistic assumption. Um, meanwhile, like the artist. Well, there's starving, also the so. deeper problem that um, art relies on a power imbalance because if you really divide everything equally, you couldn't be a full-time artist because you would also have to be a nurse and a teacher, which is much more useful. Like, if an artist relies on an infrastructure where other people fix things for them, like the plumbing of the city, uh, 
taking care of everything. And the artist is just like, you know what I need? I need to just stare out the window seven days a mm-hmm. week and get these weird ideas. So I, I think no matter what, even in a subsidized art system like the Netherlands, it still relies on a lot of people doing very tough work, paying taxes, and then yeah. funneling those taxes to the artists so they can just have a party lifestyle. Like, yeah, art is an injustice in itself. Just, but for I, me I don't see any like, way out of that. I think for me personally, though, because I make... So my background is in sociology. I don't, I don't know how often I talk about that on the podcast, right? But it's like... It you is sound like that guy from Taken. He's like, I have a very specific skill set. Yeah, very know. specific. Well, like I'm inter- I'm always interested in power and people. Like, and so, you know, that should be your business card. I'm interested in power and people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. But I think like that's why this podcast sometimes is interesting because we're literally you and I are like on separate sides yeah. of the same coin. You didn't used to be when you started as an artist. I did, I did, yeah. but it was just like a different like mode it was opaque sometimes like I, I can i can drift in and out of like making it more sweet and sugary like more palpable you know like more palatable um or making it sour and mean but like so, you know i negotiate that constantly that's what everyone does but for that reason like just like to to get it out there like the workplace like staring out the window would not be very inspiring to my practice like even if I wasn't in a workplace, I'd be studying workplaces like, how is it at Apple? Like, how did Steve Jobs do what he did, right? Because that was, that inherently is about power and technology and people, which is like what I'm interested in. So the way I draw inspiration from the workplace is like, I am in some really ridiculous situations. Some of them are are good some of them are bad and they've but they've often like it's when you're in a a workplace it's like a little petri dish of it's like a little town it's a little society yeah Yeah, you and you know all the you know like the way decisions get made you think it's like some kind of machine it's not it's like a ton of like emotion and anxiety and love and 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 then what's interesting is there's also the creatives and then there's the people who do quote unquote the real work the spreadsheets yeah yeah but the the funny thing, the, the thing I was talking about, like artists are useless and it, it, they're an injustice. But at the same time, if you go to a company like Apple, I think they know like one genius idea means trillions of dollars. So it's, if you just have the spreadsheet people, you're not going to invent the next uh, iPhone. Mm-hmm. And that's the weird, I think that's the weird role that art plays that even though art is not exactly practical and solving problems it can be a spark that then creates a completely new society but you can't ask no, totally. the, but you yeah. can't ask the artist directly like hey uh we have problems with sewage can you solve it for us but to your point like in a in a company like i've like this happened to me this week the mo- most people are kind of hit over the head until like into submission such that they stop thinking and they stop having good ideas because they're told not to. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and too many meetings always. Yeah, but I was in a meeting, ironically, where like, you know, someone was like, hey, you know, I can tell what you want. You just want like the buttons over here and the graph. And it seems like, and this was a, an engineer, and it, you're not ready for for me. And, uh, you know, like, just let me know when, when, when it's ready. I was like, everything you said is wrong. Like, what we want is, you know, innovation. So I want to understand, like, what you would do if as a technologist you had to solve this problem and they like they're kind of jaw dropped and and they sent me a message later being like no one's ever asked me for innovation Mm. and suddenly the energy in the room shifted toward okay so we're not delivering buttons and graphs we're like trying to 
actually do this. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it, like, this is a good point. Like, I think it's very easy to talk around things. Yeah. And so it, here's the thing. I think most artists can talk about their work, but like, kind of talk around it. But the actual core of the work is nonverbal. So it, it's really impossible to talk about. Like, it would be silly to ask Monet, like, why is that haystack that high and not a little bit higher? Or yeah. Why, you know, I he, get it. Yeah, he it's doesn't a different know. Language. Yeah. And so I, in all the interviews I do, the easiest topic is like, oh, websites are publicly accessible. You can lock them in a domain name, but you have to renew the domain name. That's the responsibility of the collector. NFTs are blockchain. Like, economics is very easy to talk about. And no one ever asks me, like, oh, what was the path of abstraction? And why did you choose things to be more vertical and uh, less horizontal? And why do you represent the landscapes in those colors and not those colors? It's just, and this is... Uh, this is no, just, no, you're right. It, it's the wrong time to talk about it. But yeah. it, to me, with the war in Ukraine, all this stuff, it's just, it's not appropriate. But it is the thing, like, what separates an iPhone from... The Samsung Galaxy, and it's this mysterious thing, and you can. It's talk not that about- mysterious though. In an organization, you'll see it like straight up, like the rational folks it, versus the irrational. Folks. Yeah, but it's it it it's that thing where um, design is not a, a veneer. It's like the entire thinking of the entire thing, and that's the same for me with art. Where people are like, "Oh, first you come up with a concept, and oh, then you yeah, make yeah, the artwork," yeah. and like, no, that's not how it works. It's Ugh, holistic. Yeah. It's yeah. so exhausting for me after 20 years in design to have people be like, and, you know, I love the, I love color. They'll tell me stuff like that. Or yeah, like, yeah. can you, can, everyone has an opinion on color. Can, yeah. can you, can you just, can you make this look good? That's like, yeah, a yeah. So line. first, first they yeah. make all the wrong decisions on the entire information <laughs> architecture. And then like, can you add some cool buttons? It looks like yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, I mean, designers have fought against that for, for many, many years and, and honestly, but that's the done, same. This is yeah. my point. Like, I've had many moments where the Netherlands, uh, the public good and art are close, t- closely tied to each other more than in the U.S. Hmm. And so you have like, we have a problem in this neighborhood. We should ask an artist to do an intervention, and then the social problems will go away. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, like situation. oh, someone they made the this way, cool sticker project, and now the neighborhood is happy. Yeah. On the topic of the the Ukraine, so we don't lose the flame here. I was invited to the, do that in a small town in western Ukraine. I went to Ukraine, and like, and it was clearly absurd. I was I was given a whole factory. <laughs> And I sat on my laptop in the corner of a factory, like, and had like there were guys that could melt steel that were like, "Hey, can we help you?" And I, I remember like, this is a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, 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 it was early, or I guess early twenty tens, and it, like it was striking how out of place I was and how little sense it made. But like, quite often, you know, you're you're kind of dropping the artist into you might as well be dropping them into like like a, a sea of of snakes and asking them to like. Yeah, you know, like, okay, just like take care of these snakes. Can for you us. calm them down? They're really <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. do something, charm them, would you? Yeah, can you uh, can you make a song that will make them docile and productive? Yeah, but actually, like, I mean, for me anyway, I loved when I uh, contrasts, uh, and I still do. It's one reason why, like, when when you arrive at Penn Station in New York, you're both appalled but also thrilled. Yeah, at, yeah. you know, because it's such a high contrast environment. Um, yeah. America is like... I had this, the, yeah. a similar situation where um, in Japan, the, like in many other places, people move to the big cities and the countryside is empty. So the government decided to 
create these art festivals to bring people and bring uh, local tourism back and uh, things like that. So we did a tour of all these abandoned high schools and abandoned factories and like, yeah, let's do something here. And I was like, ah, this is not going to work. Why do artists have to solve problems? Blah, blah, blah. But then the festival happened and the curators were very dedicated and it did bring life to the region and it, it was wonderful. So it's, it's also, yeah, maybe sometimes I'm a pessimist and then, well, Museums Quarter, yeah. you've been to Vienna, right? Museums Quarter in Vienna, the, yeah. you know, kind of cluster of creative businesses in the museum downtown. Like, have you ever been there? Yeah, it's. I, I just remember it being absurdly clean, where it's like, is this a movie set? Or, yeah. But that was a whole rehabilitation project um, yeah. that re-enlivened the, the center of Vienna, which when you're there, you're like, why would they need to enliven? That was the center of art, right? For, for decades. Mm-hmm. Or for hundreds of years, even. So, but you know, places like artists do play that role in terms of like, if you if you named like the top your top five favorite cities, you would name basic you would name name different types of artists. Like you might call them you know sometimes uh, chefs, right? Or you might call them like um, I don't know, like even uh, boutique owners. But like you wouldn't. You mean name... reasons why you love cities? Is, is yeah, yeah, yeah. It's often down to creative people, is what I'm kind of getting. So at. you're saying we need a celebrity chef to solve the crisis in the Ukraine? What? Okay, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. if only these like the the, mili- the Russian military had access to great food. Uh, yeah. No, I think uh, I think it's gonna. Here's what's gonna happen in the Ukraine. Obviously, like they're gonna fight really hard, and there's gonna be a ton of uh, dem- you know, ton of pain and death, and everything's gonna get demolished. It's gonna be horrible. Cultural history is gonna be erased. But the people themselves, it's not like all the memory and the culture that they're, you know, what they want to see the world become will not go away so easily. And so I think like um, it could end up being culturally extremely meaningful for the history of the world, which is the hopeful spin uh, on this whole situation. Um, but anyway, well, I don't want to I don't want to speculate because um, you're like what you said at the end. I mean, like, I, I really felt the COVID was winding down and I was like, oh, this is going to be like a happy time again. And, we food, and then the, the weird timing of it. Yeah. But let's get, let's look at that for a second too, because we we just before we were chatting about this New York times article, um, you know, reflecting on the pandemic and what NFT, a mess the, this episode is the rise of <laughs> NFTs. No, but I think it's all connected. I, yeah. and we're, I'm, I'm going to try and do the master segue here. Yeah. But you know, if you, if you think back to pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, the biggest change for art was probably the emergence of the NFT. There's been, you know, billions, maybe even like by now trillions. I don't, I don't want to say trillions before it's true, but like there's been billions in sales and it's changed. It's insane. Yeah, it's, it's still changed insane. some, some yeah. artists' lives meaningfully across like a spectrum, like intersectionally. And which again, like I know that's not your favorite topic, but I think... That's significant. Like, no one else did that. By the way, we were talking about that incessantly before. Well, I, I always felt that the the internet, it didn't level the playing field, but a lot of people could walk in without uh, living in an expensive city. So I, I, I do think it opened some doors. It did open some doors, right? So yeah. it, I don't know the stats exactly, but I, I, I have read that uh, blockchain in general had a more diverse set of investors because it was more accessible at small amounts and things like that. Well, yeah, as an example, like, um, you know, like I work at a, uh, at, like at a firm called ClearCo and we invest in, we fund businesses like e-commerce businesses. Right. And we use like 
you know, quote unquote AI, I say quote unquote, because it's like, it's an AI is just an algorithm, but we use an algorithm to decide if we're going to give you money or not. Right. And that means that we fund 25 times more women than traditional venture I capital. See. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, so like there's often this narrative. So you that take like, away the prejudice. That it, yeah, exactly. What we call intuition might actually just be prejudice. Exactly. There's a ton of bias built into the systems that we often uphold, right? And then, yeah. and then there's this like thing that like technology can only. But that's create. hard to do because like, if you really let the AI run its course, it's like, well, we looked at the data and white men seem to uh, get the best results. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. exactly, like you know, we, AI is well documented as as it's only as good as the data set. Yeah. But a PNL, you know, which is like a profit and loss report, is pretty hard. Um, to bias, and you're right, I there's see. like social biases yeah. that might enter. But the net result of an algorithm is that we're, we're funding 25 times more women. So it's, like if you had left it up to the white guys. With the, yeah. When COVID started and there was PPP and I could sign up for a PPP loan, which is the American version where they, they help freelancers and small businesses to like the three months of payroll. And you just sign up for all these websites and it's just like click, 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 you have a loan. It, it's so weird. I, I didn't grow up with loans being that easy but you think of a loan you think of movie scenes where you go to the bank wearing a suit and you're like showing them your proposal but this is just like five clicks and it's in your account well i mean the germans invented bureaucracy right and like yeah in the past it would have been a piece of paper and a stamp and a signature and a and a courier across town it's just removing it's still the same process of like yeah. it's just removing it or it's disintermediating hum- human intervent like gatekeeping. But basically. then there's if you just study the algorithm, you could game it. Sure. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Anyone can do that. But in any system, can be gamed, right? Yeah. Like even Las Vegas had to deal with that. Um, yeah. 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 But anyway, the point I wanted to make in regards to, you know, the topic here is, um, you know, is like this article in the New York Times that uh, one of our listeners asked us to talk about was like is there such a thing as NFT art? And it was like, clearly, no. You know, it's just a technology. Isn't that a rule of journalism that if if an article has a headline with a question, the answer is always no? It's obviously a shit, like, article, right? Like, but... <laughs> okay, here, here's here's maybe my point of the whole thing, of, of all this stuff, that the meta-galaxy brain point, is that whatever people, whatever helps people, they'll defend. And that's the bottom line for me, that, mm-hmm. you know, like... If blockchain hadn't gone well for me, I would have clearly said, like, domain names are cooler, blockchain is very user hostile, it's bad for the environment. But because it went well for me, I'll just start talking the other direction. And so I think galleries initially were all like, NFTs are bad, this is trash. And then they're like, oh, wait a minute, some of the artists can't really do it on their own. Maybe I can help them. Oh, the margins are really good. I think I like NFT. And so any political discussion, anything, it's just always people defending. And yeah. that, that to me is, is the trouble that, um, that when you break it down and you're like, you look at anyone talking about any topic and you're like, what is their interest? Why is Elon Musk against uh, A, B, C, and D? Why is, Eliz- is Elizabeth Warren against A, B, C, and D? And it, it all boils down to self-interest. And that's just very boring. That, that's my problem with a lot of political discussion because it's it's just it's just like all children asking like I want the lollipop no I yeah, want but the don't lollipop. forget like a few minutes ago you were in favor of emotional or irrational responses to the world yeah. right like yeah, yeah, yeah. so the, the, again that's the tension between the rational and the no, irrational no but I'm yeah and like 
I'm not good at political art, so that's why I'm like, political art is bad. I think if mm-hmm. I had a talent for it, I would probably defend it. And so I'm good at, I'm not good at clear messages. So I like yeah. to make work that, you know, it works, it operates at a different level. And then I'll defend, like, art should be A, B, C, and D. But mm-hmm. someone else is just better at institutional critique or that kind of genre of art. And then they're like, oh, all this formal art is very shallow and it's just decoration and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, well, my argument and the reason I'm, like, critical of this article's position um, is that regardless of your... But back to that thing, journalists don't have any interest in NFTs being good or bad, but what they're interested in is is getting people riled up. So the whole point of this article is just to get people riled up. But regardless, like... The point I wanted to make is like y- whether you choose to or not, Raphael, your work is pol- is political, just for existing in a context. And, the, no, and I, wait, wait, I wait, hear me that. out for a second. Hear, hear me that. out. Yeah. Okay, you understand that. But then hear me out for a second. Like th- the idea that there's no, no such thing as NFT art, no one gets to decide that. <laughs> like the context of the technology, this is this has been true yeah, historically just- all the way back to painting. It does matter. It does influence how you read the work and how others read no, the work. No, I know, so, but it's yeah. it's the same thing as someone in the fifties going like rock and roll is bad for the children. It's like you can have an opinion on it, but the yeah, people yeah, yeah, have yeah. spoken. It exists. It's not going to stop. Elvis is not going to stop. So, yeah, you know, he's shaking his hips on TV, and kids are going crazy. And next thing is hippies. That it's all it's it's happening. You can't stop it. And the and the critics can be like, hey, we want proper no, TV. It's. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna be on the uh, on the on the old side of history and say like, I wish things were back at the opera where people were decent and they wore nice suits going to the music event and not screaming teenagers. No, I mean I like this yeah. point because it's like, guess what? The artist can be a corporate leader. Guess what? The artist can make money like selling. Guess what? Art. The artists get get royalties. The the artists speak directly to their audience. Guess what? Yeah. They like it. Yeah. <laughs> and like. Yeah, if you don't like that, if you that's fine too. That's great. Well, like, and and I'm always like, we've both been doing new media art for so long, and we've it's always been the weird stepchild, yeah. And it's always been like, yeah, we understand why computers are important, but paintings are the real art because at least you can hang them, <laughs> you know. And at some point, we're like, we keep saying it, like I think. The brain is on the screen. I think the screen is an important part of our life. And they're like, no, no. <laughs> the real experience is that the, the artist in the studio with their paint and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, no, I don't think so. I think we're culturally, we're all tied to the screen. And I think young kids are like making work on the screen. And it's not so natural for them to buy oil paint. And the no. truth is probably less binary than that, right? It's probably like, you know, the, the fact is you can't separate the two. It's, no, no, no. It's, but I'm saying yeah. like the role that we played where we kept saying, oh, yeah, this yeah. is the new culture. And people are like, sure, but how, does it, how do we make yeah, it yeah, work? Yeah. I've heard so many times from curators saying like, I know this net art is really interesting, but it doesn't work in an exhibition. Like I've heard yes. that so many Such times. Such a like blank statement. This yeah. doesn't and work. And it's like, I just don't see it in an exhibition. And I'm it's like, so laughable just, though. Looking back, you just back. haven't tried. You haven't tried, and uh, I know you can do really bad new media shows, and you could do good ones. And then they see video art, they see Bill Viola, and they see Pipilotti wrist. They understand that works in exhibition. And then they don't believe that net art works in exhibition, and then they never give people the opportunity. It's so fun. And here's the thing: I'm defending myself, of course. I'm defending my position. I think screen culture is interesting. I think screensavers are interesting. I think software is interesting. Blah blah blah. And now, you know, there's a momentum, and people are like, "Yeah, I am 
I did grow up with the screen, and that is my cultural identity. And I do care about internet culture more than like details of varnish on a canvas. So, yeah, I I guess I'm defending it. Yeah, I don't know where we're going, but no, no, no. Yeah. I think it's like you know the point is valid. Um, the like point is I'm valid, but it's also boring. Like it's very predictable for me to say this, and it's very predictable <laughs> for an art critic to say pop culture is bad. I I represent high culture highly edited very the top down and that's the way things should be that like it's very predictable for an art critic for an institution like new york times to say biennials are good nfts are bad that that is the most no i know and that's why my position. point is that people in power you know and technology is like the intermediary force are always going to be on the uh, side present. of tradition, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, it's always, those forces are always going to be in tension with one another, and that's dictated. The, like, 100% of our conversations th- end up being yeah. like, mediated by those forces. I think the real, the, the core of it all is uh, letting people choose for themselves. And I think that each model has good and bad. Like, it, the, the New York Times art critic is on the side of biennials, like, an expert curator who spends a long time thinking about it. Um, and I think often, you know, curators, sometimes they're great, and sometimes there's a not-so-great one. It's, it's, it's a single person. They're not perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, then, you would probably agree, though, that, like, curators hold a lot of kind of power in shaping the narrative when we were yeah. talking about narrative earlier. Well, yeah, and, 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 and uh, right now I'm in talks with a museum to do a big show, and then we're discussing what type of show it should be. And I really appreciate talking to the curator. I think... They know the building much better than I do. They know the audience much better than I do. But at the same time, I might have ideas that are hard to explain and seem silly. And then they also have to trust me that I have a level of intuition that I'm in tune with that I've trusted. And so I think that the NFT thing represents spontaneous creation. And there's a lot of trash and there's some good stuff. But you really have to dig. I think that's the bottom line. Like... It's That's not curated. True, no, but I think I think um, if you go to biennials, and I'm saying biennials as this sort of top tier of curated uh, elite culture, there's a guarantee of seriousness. There's like, okay, this is a level of seriousness of like, we're all aligned, uh, we're all in the same bubble. It's safe. We're not being scammed. Like. You know, like, oh, yeah, Bruce Nauman and uh, Agnes Martin and everything's serious, everything's good. There's all the signifiers. Yeah, yeah like but, but it's very that, clear that it's art. Like, everyone's like, okay, this is art, this is art, this is art. And you can stand by it. It's not embarrassing to say at a party, like, oh, I saw an installation by... Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just very safe. It's, no, and, no, and, like and, all of the and, things that you mentioned, like, those people all signify this is... You're in the right place. This the best way, the best way yeah. for me to describe it is that the biennials and the museums are ponds, ponds, P-O-N-D, like little uh, pieces oh, of water uh, in, mm-hmm. in, in beautiful gardens. So the garden is, is the, the city that supports it, which, you know, it's the class that supports it. And then that term, open sea. NFT is the open sea. So you can swim in the pond and you can't really swim that much. You, you you know, you can just kind of go in a little circle or you can go to the ocean and you might drown and you might die. And that's mm-hmm. open sea. Like you might buy stuff that is terrible. And No, yeah. It reminds yeah. me like in Toronto we had like, you know. But, but would you bo- rather swim in a pond or in the ocean? Yeah, that's. 
No, but there are different kinds of bookstores, right? They're like, we had, this is like thinking back, we had like this bookstore called the world's biggest bookstore. And it's like huge, chaotic bookstore with every book imaginable. And then you had these like small independent bookstores that curated books. Yeah. And then you had the commercial bookstores that like push the next Martha Stewart book or whatever. Um, And so I think like, any and the ecology word, yeah. is going to be made up. Of, and I think of, the word binary is, is very interesting. You're totally right. Like, when you make an argument in an article, you want to get to a point, so you, you, you create a binary. But yeah, in, reality, in, yeah. in, in reality, both bookstores are interesting. It's fun to go to the crazy big one, and it's fun to go to the curated one. Like, why wouldn't they both exist? And, uh, yeah. And they do. And guess what? Yeah. You don't have a choice. Like, it, but <laughs> like it's, it's going to happen. It, like, I love museums. I love curators. I love high culture. And I'm in favor of it. I, I understand the, the power of curation. That's why I love alternative movie theaters. And they're an alternative to the boring uh, Marvel movies. And it all exists for a very good reason. But then when NFT happens and all of a sudden the, the traditional curated world feels attacked... I don't think they should feel attacked. They should start looking at it and seeing like, hey, there's a lot of crap, but there's also interesting stuff happening. And it's it's a different yeah. mindset. And so it's a new impulse that could enter the curated world. Well, often also what's true is like, you know, kind of the Malcolm Gladwell um, tipping point thing, which is like there's a lot of activity that is usually subcurrent or subcultural for a very long time before there's like a breakthrough like this. So what I've often found disrespectful is... Um, that there was there's tons of silent activity that was happening without notice, like a lot of people contributing. Yeah. And then yeah, once yeah. there was a breakthrough, suddenly it's like a bad thing, you know, like. And, yeah, 100 um, percent. Right now, like, you know, similarly, you know, me being like a corporate artist, like an, I, the idea that I would be a corporate leader and an artist sound let the, like I got so much friction for that personally early in my my practice like what are you doing like why would you do that and but was it that people you, people mistrusted you for having both roles exactly like i had to keep it hidden like oh we can't trust you because like also it reminds like, you, the tv show silicon valley that you know that people can be whatever they want in silicon valley and then this one investor guy is, is a christian and they they tell other people like, you outed me <laughs> <laughs> it's the biggest taboo <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Like, the, yeah. like literally, people would get angry with me for bringing this idea up. But what's been interesting over the last few years is people coming out of the woodwork and asking me, like, "Hey, how did you how did you establish this different way of working?" And well, I, th- and I think it's also great that you lifted the taboo because we're all supposed to pretend things are a certain way, and you're like, you know what? This is the truth. This is how it is, and I'll tell you how it works for me. <laughs> yeah, like it's got its compromises. Don't get me wrong, and and that's why I like the listener question though too. Like, you know, how how is it is it inspiring, or what has it inspired? How could it not be inspiring? How could like living a life not be inspiring for any artist, no matter what context? Yes you're in? and no. But like, yes and no, but because there's like frustration. There's time so, management. Like, if you need more yeah. time to make your work, sure. No matter how inspiring your day job is. It, you know, you need to I 100% agree. So like uh, the biggest thing you need to, you know, battle, but this is true whether you're an artist or not because you might have family might be important to you or like a hobby or something. You need to learn to like recognize, you know, where that how to how to like sort of segment your time, right? But like it's still research. I would be doing research if I was an artist full-time, you know, whether or not I had a corporate job, right? So if my research is corporate, 
um, it results in something different. And I, I like, I just, I'm kind of through apologizing for it, but not that the, our listeners even asking for that, but there was a period no, of time where no. I felt great shame. And then I was like, no, I'm just going to embrace this and see where it takes me. And I think it could go somewhere unique. And the way it manifests is like, obviously in my practice, like coming up with companies is like, you know, what I like to do, you know, whether they're real or speculative um, and looking at like artists' revenue models, and, like helping figure out how we could earn money. And then stuff like NFT, not my invention happens sometimes concurrently. I'm like, oh, like it's really validating to see that like, artist economies <laughs> like are not only conceptually interesting, but viable. Um, and that's where it comes back to the NFT thing for me. Sorry to like yeah. try and like yeah. combine all these threads, but those I ran, I've mentioned this on the podcast several times. I did a residency called the artist entrepreneur in Norway, um, like more than five years ago, like six years ago. And I was basically like chased out of the city, like in <laughs> by the, by the, <laughs> like, yeah. how dare you? Right. And this is uh, disgusting. Yeah. So and but I think like a lot of artists probably feel that way that are shy about well, trying things a new yeah. way. It's 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 funny because obviously I'm more comfortable talking about things I know more about. So I'm more comfortable talking about NFTs than uh, war. But there was a panel talk and someone in the audience said, "If all art becomes digital, how do we deal with accessibility?" And I just I wasn't listening. What does so that I, even mean? Yeah, exactly. So I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you can view any NFT on any device at any moment. But what she meant was like, there's a ton of people who are just confused by all the user interfaces and they're oh. older and they don't have such good devices. And for them, the museum is a great place that they can spend time, have an affordable lunch. Uh, like, it's, it's kind of a safe space if you travel. Uh, and so... It, they were worried about that disappearing and everything's online and quick and you lose your seed phrase and you get hacked and all this stuff. So it, I wasn't listening to the question. I was immediately defensive and I was like, what are you talking about? It's open, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh yeah, you have a point. Ooh. But I don't see like, um, there will still be museums that show yeah. whatever the hell they want. Like, cause all of human history didn't just get erased yeah. because NFTs exist. Right. And then, one thing that stuck with me all the time, so um, Eric Calderon, Snowfro from Artblocks, the founder, he had a show in New York in a, in a upst- uh, Upper East Side gallery, a fancy gallery, like a respectable museum quality gallery. Mm-hmm. And so um, the Proof podcast, they interviewed the gallerist, and he was very fascinated with the NFT world. But he comes from... You know, he did big Basquiat sales and uh, Jeff Koons sales and, uh, you know, cool gallerist. And they kept using the word traditional art world. And no one thought about it. And I realized, like, is this an insult? Because mm-hmm. how can you call... Art is supposed to be changing people's minds and showing new ways. And once you say traditional art world, it's like classical music. It's like, that's it, game over. You're out. You're not a part of culture anymore. Mm, interesting. It's like a repositioning. Yeah, but like, I know there are contemporary composers in classical music, but it 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 is, I think, the moment it was decided that classical music was called classical music. Yeah. And I always had this very strong feeling of contemporary art that it wasn't, the word contemporary art was already old when I started. I, I felt like this whole brand of contemporary art was like, it was sort of signaling that you're an intellectual without really doing the work. It's just like, yeah, I'm into contemporary art. Like my, my couch is like a contemporary couch. 
mm-hmm. and it's almost as meaningless as mid-century modern. It, it's just kind <laughs> of, you know, and, and I felt like, what's going to be the next thing after contemporary art? But I really strongly felt in the mid-90s that contemporary art was already over. It was this mm-hmm. whole sort of signaling like, oh, I have cool friends and relational aesthetics, and it's all about hanging right. out with the right people. I thought that... I sit That's, on uncomfortable chairs and talk about ideas. Yeah, and, and I call it mm-hmm. uh, contextual privilege. Like you have the privilege that you're in the room that everybody wants to be in, and then you can just do whatever you want. So you have this corruption because you have the position of the biennial or the museum that then you're like, yeah, I put paper cups in the, on the floor, like a hundred of them. And mm-hmm. And that's it, because you've been allowed in the room. And then everybody's like, oh, it's art, it's in the room. Mm-hmm. How daring. Yeah. yeah like, and so it, th- that yeah. to me already seemed over. Like people did that so much in the 70s, testing, like, what's the least I can do in a gallery for it to still be interesting? Mm-hmm. And I just felt like, yeah, I don't know if you share that feeling of, of contextual privilege and, and that sort of making people. No, no. I, I mean, I think one of the things uh, that came to mind was, there's, isn't it there that website Artlist where it like ranks every artist or what's it called? Art you Facts. Know? Art Facts, right. Yeah. yeah. Art it, Facts it, And has... it ranks people not by uh, uh, monetary value, but by number of institutional shows. Yeah. And then you can like be like, like if you look your name up, you'll see a bunch of your, our friends and stuff. Or, yeah. Raphael like Rosanel is similar shows to with, Constant yeah. Dollar. It shows yeah. with, yeah, Jonas Lund or something. But um I noticed that you and I are in this category on that. I, I don't know. I was looking it up because of something else. I like podcast but, artists. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, like loser artists right there. No, it, they self-promoting they, they call it like ultra contemporary. And oh yeah. Like, yeah. Is, what is that? Like the most living? <laughs> Cause yeah. contemporary just meant living. No, but artist. I mean, modern at some point was like the new thing. So that was a word for new. And then yeah. contemporary was what came after postmodern, I guess. Yeah. Uh, because postmodern was like, okay, we've tried all the modern stuff, but let's twist it and add some <laughs> irony. And then right, contem- let's make it subjective. Yeah. And contemporary always felt to me very stylish in the sense of like, um, it looks good in a fashion magazine. It's acceptable. It's like mm-hmm. I just watched the last James Bond. It all looks like contemporary art, like a big concrete empty space with a conceptual garden in the middle. It just feels very contemporary art. Yeah, but then along comes this like additional I, suffix or but prefix. It, yeah, I, for our French listeners, there's this uh, furniture sh- store called Habitat. It's like a little bit better than IKEA, but not really high end. That's how a lot of contemporary art feels to be. Just like, Why yeah. is that for a French listener? <laughs> it's a French uh, furniture chain. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I see. Um, yeah, but ultimately, like. Um, all of these categories are invented, which is kind of the point. And we were talking about like vibe, that vibe shift concept on the the last episode. But the idea that you there are these blurry gray zone periods, and you're kind of bringing up that point, which is like you felt it while you're in it, like when you feel like something's out of date well, while you're it, sitting. It's, it's again that defensive thing. Like I was clearly not in that mode of uh, working, so I was like, okay, that's that's what we have to. Uh, push against but uh, like uh, I was out for dinner last night with friends and they were like talking about their resentment toward the pandemic rules just suddenly getting dropped 
like that there was no transition period that suddenly like overnight <laughs> they wanted the a half mask <laughs> like, yeah, like, but just overnight, like one almost nostril the whole world was like okay yeah. enough and they're yeah. like this feels unfair like because i followed the rules like diligently there was no easing out of me being like a good person it was but just how like, did they want to ease they didn't know but they just felt like it was more like a like what we're talking about here, which is like there, it's like there's an elastic band that stretched and stretched and stretched, and then it yeah. breaks. Right? I noticed that people in New York they lifted the mask mandate, but everybody still wears it. Well, yeah, that's going to be the the kind of the cultural downstream, I think, where people yeah. are still uncomfortable with the fact that the rules change, just like yeah. when it started. Yeah. But I think the same thing happens culturally, right? And so we're experiencing that right now among like it's like when photography was introduced as a new as an art form yes it was replicable you could make millions of prints and therefore there could be fraud like is it a real edition i don't know um so we're going through the same thing with digital art and but it was such a long time coming um the same thing with the art an artist that makes a living wage such a long time coming Mm. (laughs) like here's an idea you know like i think at some point that's the one thing i i don't understand can you explain to me why any artist should be able to make a living wage? Because I don't think it's any artist, uh, like the, any every artist. So the, the the way I would rephrase the sentence is the way you phrase it, actually. So I'm not rephrasing it at all. But like any artist should have the potential to earn an income that's livable, yeah. you know, and not be abused. Well, to me, for, to me, the way I would, because... You know, I, I don't want to speak on social struggle, but I can speak for artists. Like, I'm very comfortable that the thing that bothers me about the economic role of artists is that people think it's self-promotion, so we don't need to value other... You're, you're already the shining star, so we don't have to pay you. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't it great that your name is on the billboard? We don't yeah, have to yeah, pay you. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's great, yeah. you know, promotion. And everybody else around it, from the cleaning person to the curator to the board of the museum or whatever, they're all getting paid. And then the yeah. artist is like, yeah, but you're the birthday boy. So why, why do we have to give you anything? Yeah, you get that. Yeah. I'm not saying but that. I, that but like, the living wage thing to me is a weird thing because that's like saying every YouTuber should be able to make a living wage. And it's mm, Yeah, it's but should be able job. to is the key word. And also, yeah, I didn't yeah. say from their art. Like, again, like the, there, it could be from their ability and skill, right? Like, and recognizing that it has value and it is equal to mopping the floor, right? Um, these, like, I think even just fighting for minimum wage among gallery staff is a similar issue, yeah, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. curators don't get paid a lot, by the way. Like, and, and Yeah, this is, unless you're, some of them are appointed for life at an institution. Sure. They're very comfortable, yeah. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, at some point we will accept that this, you know, that this that artists are a valuable part of society. I can't believe that's a controversial statement on this. Like, uh, yeah, but value. Like, th- th- there's the the market argument. Like, value is decided by the market, or there's a communal. Like, I come from the Netherlands, where it's not. Yeah, such but a we've market just spent, driven. Yeah, we've just spent an hour arguing that the market is rigged. So, like, all I'm saying is, yeah. don't be surprised when the artists come to dismantle your market <laughs> and create yeah, a new yeah. one, yeah. right? Or to create or create new career paths, new inventions, like. It's just like artists are people, so they're going to invent new forms, and you're not going to understand at first. Um, I mean, I'm saying you. I don't, I don't know who we're talking to because I, I feel like our audience is on our side here. But um, I don't know. It's not a surprise at all to me, personally. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's the Barbara Kruger thing, not surprised. Yeah. I'm or not is it Jenny Holzer? 
Well, Barbara Kruger, there's a good example. You know, yeah. she's like Vogue magazine. Hmm, how do they do this? Oh, big bold type, eh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Color. Hmm. Let's see what I can do with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure everybody was like, "Oh, that's not art. That's advertising." Yeah. 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 You go, Barbara. You showed us. You showed them. Yeah. Anyway, um, interesting and then, times. And then came Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Supreme is literally Barbara Kruger. Yeah. Like, uh, no, there's so much. That's often, that's a whole other podcast that we should talk about, which is like kind of the cultural mixing bowl or like smoothie, you know, like this idea that there's like discrete pieces of fruit when actually we're in the blender. I've started making smoothies this week. That's what's up. <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> it's all blended together. Yeah. And, if you're trying to pull out, it's that's what we try and do here, right? We're trying to pull out all these. There's a strawberry. Oh, there's a piece of banana. But at the end of the day, like it's all mixed together. And can't we all just too. get along? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we. Yeah. Why not? Like, why are you fighting so hard not to get along? Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening. Um, I don't think we. Oh, we have a field recording actually. We do, yeah. By the, yeah. yeah, it seems like we're so disorganized because we took all that time off. Um, we didn't even talk about you were in Europe. We, there's so much stuff to talk about. But. Oh, man. we got to record more often. <laughs> but uh, should we do the, the field recording by Momo, our good friend, uh, Muralist? Yeah, uh, what's, the, what's the field recording of? I'm, I didn't do my homework. It's, it's uh, a bunch of carts that are competing for sound. I think let's just, it's abstract. Let's just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, stop trying to make it, uh, yeah, start, like, representational, Jeremy. Stop making sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening, and uh, thank you, Send Momo, for the field recording. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>